Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of High Action. My name is Perry Smith, joining you from Brooklyn, New York, and as always, joined by the members of the New West Guitar Group. Uh, let me say hello to my man out in Studio City, John Story. How's it going? Hey, everybody, going great. All right. And then my man child out in Long Beach, Will Brahm. How's it going? <laughs> well, since we had a false start, I need another cup of coffee. So. Yeah. <laughs> You're not really a man child, you know. But uh, I just wanted to get that in. Not a man, just kind of not like, a child, not yet a man. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course you are. Of course you're a man. Um, all right, today we're going to do something a little different. I know for some of the listeners of the podcast, you may be expecting this week was going to be about the touring guitarist and stories from the road, but we decided to change it up uh, because, as some of you know. Um, our teacher and our mentor, Joe DiOrio, passed away recently, someone that John and I both studied guitar with in college, and we thought that we should just change gears today a little bit and, you know, take the opportunity to discuss some of the really inspiring teachers that the three of us have had over the years. And certainly, uh, we're going to talk about DiOrio and share some examples of some of the things that he did on the guitar and how... That's influenced our playing, and, and yeah, for the listeners, if you can take from that, and um, that's really the goal, you know, because all these inspiring teachers we're going to talk about, they were really passionate and still are passionate about kind of passing down their language on the guitar. So we, we very much want to share these things with you that we've learned over the years. Before we get too far into the episode, though, I do want to mention uh, our partner and an organization that's been a huge support to us over the years. That is the wonderful Henriksen Amplifiers. Uh, we love these guys. Um, they're based out in Arvado, Colorado, and they've been, a, you know, like I said, a huge game changer for the New West Guitar Group. Um, their amplifiers are mostly solid state, and they just are really balanced and give us a really nice, clear, and clean tone when we're playing our boxes. They also sound great with acoustic guitars, which has been kind of an added bonus for our group. We don't normally use them with acoustic guitar, but in a pinch, they sound pretty freaking good. Like, you don't necessarily have to go through the PA mm -hmm. if that's not an option or a worse option. So we really love these Hendrickson amps. I'll play a little bit so you can hear how they sound on my 175, but they have a sweet tone, you know? We love these amps. Uh, John, you want to mention anything about the Hendrickson guys? Yeah, you know, I was just thinking, man, I can't believe it. It's It's been 10 years since I got my first Hendrickson amp. I bought my first one in 2012 out at True Tone Music here in Santa Monica, and I love that amp. It's a one, it's called a 110ER, which eventually has now become the Bud 10. And, um, yeah, for yeah. those listeners who are interested in getting one, um, you can go to the Hendrickson Amplifier website, use promo code um, HIGHACTION, 
and that will get you a discount uh, on an amplifier purchase or any anything else from their store, including shirts and hats and amp cases and stuff. But yeah, they're they're amazing. Uh, we love them, and they're huge supporters of the guitar community. So more power to you. Thank you, Peter Hendrickson. Will, what's your preferred Hendrickson amp? Wh- which model? I mean, my blue has done every gig under the sun and has been in suitcases on airplanes. Yeah. But um, the the Bud 10 is really great, too. Yeah. So uh, they sound great plugged in. They sound great with electric guitar, acoustic guitar, arch top. Every guitar player should have one. Yes, highly recommended. Check them out at HendrixonAmplifiers.com. All right, well, moving along to uh, the episode, the theme for today's episode is Inspiring Teachers, and we're going to start with none other than uh, the legendary Joe DiOrio. Um, as I mentioned, he, he recently passed away, and it's, it's been a moment for a lot, in the, a lot of people in the jazz guitar community to kind of reflect on Mr. DiOrio and the impact that he had on their lives and just kind of share some of his recordings and um, his approach, which was very unique. So uh, I was able to study with him as a freshman at, at USC, as, as was John. And man, we learned so much from him every week. It was so inspiring. And I wanted to share with the listeners just a little bit about his playing and sort of share some specific examples. And the first thing that I wanted to play was uh, a phrase that he played that he recorded on an album called Rare Birds. It's a duo recording with East Coast guitar legend Mick Goodrick, who's taught uh, in Boston for decades. And he and Joe were kind of like these East Coast, West Coast guitar gurus. And I remember when I found out that they did an album together, it was actually Mike Stern, oddly enough, who came to USC for a clinic one time and referenced that recording. And I was like, I was like, really? I got to check this out. And like the recording just blew my mind because those guys are playing uh, so creatively and adventurously in a guitar duo format. And the opening riff on uh, the very first track is Green Dolphin Street. And Diorio plays this sort of fourth based, fifth based uh, pattern over Green Dolphin Street. And that was a big kind of signature part of Joe's playing was this intervallic approach to improvising. He'd use a lot of fourths, he'd use a lot of fifths, and he has these certain shapes that he would combine that would get him around the guitar like that. So just check out this uh, riff that he did over Green Dolphin Street. I'll see if I can play it for you. to continuing to accompany Mick Goodrick, who was playing the melody. And, I mean, that was one of the cool things about Joe as an accompanist, was he was he was pretty adventurous, and you never knew what he was going to throw at you when you were playing the melody or soloing, and he was backing you up. I mean, John, you want to talk about some of those moments um, when you were in lessons with him, and he's he's comping for you, and just how, how unique uh, and creative yeah. that was? 
Yeah, I remember one time I was walking bass, like going, like um, something like a, like that. Yeah. And we were playing something kind of medium swing, and I remember Joe was like, "Man, you know, you don't have to do that. Like, you don't have to walk the bass. Like, just just give me some chords. Just just like say things back to me. Like say right. something back. Like I play something, say something back." And and I remember it kind of caught me off guard because at that time I loved that sound of like the walking bass guitar thing. Like I'm sure Will, you'll share working with Eshte. I loved that sound, and I love and I'd worked with Frank Potenza too. All yeah. those guys get that sound. Yeah. But Joe, like right away, was like, "No, no, no. Let's minimize the comping and be more supportive." And so we worked a lot on comping. And um, man, I mean, a lot of those lessons we would just take a theme. I mean, my favorite one was just going, you know, with Bach, you know. Just taking that, we would play almost for half an hour just with that theme, and yeah. he would show you all these cool things. And um, yeah, I mean, man, it's it's so hard to just sum this up right now. It's hard to it's hard to sum it up into into a, a describing what that was. He, he was he was just the kind of teacher that few people really get to study with. He was the ultimate guru and somebody who really created his own thinking, his own world. Um, who was always about creativity. Um, he totally gave himself up for the music. It was never about him. It was about the yeah. music. It was about who he was playing with. Um, and man, just one of the good guys, man, like just a funny character that really had a, an amazing life story. I'm, I'm so, so honored we were able to have him on the podcast a year yeah. and a half ago. So, yeah. Yeah. For the listeners, uh, some of you may not be aware, this is our second season. Our first season, we had 50 episodes, interviews with legendary guitar players and we closed out the first season um episode 49 and 50 was a, a double interview uh with joe diorio and as i was uh maybe saying to you earlier will it was it was great that he got to know you through that process and got to hear your music and i know he was and really, vice versa yeah, yeah really enamored by your playing and just a few other things to kind of touch on about joe before we, we keep moving on here um i mentioned the intervallic thing so if you want to try this at home Try to create like a fifth shape in your left hand. I do this over this um, the song where I put my pinky at the 12th fret on the B string. I put my first finger at the 9th fret on the G and my third finger at the 12th fret on the A string. So you get this sound. And then keeping your first finger where it is, you can drop it down to the D string and you can create a fourth sound with your se second finger on the 10th fret. And then you can create the fifths on the G, D, and E strings. And then you can also do that with your first finger at the ninth fret. And so he would combine those licks. This was one of his signature licks, this. And he could be so creative with how he would use that and in, in, in different variations. Um, but that was a big part of his playing. Another part of his playing that's actually really difficult and challenging for me to do is the sweeps. He was all about sweeping with his right hand. And he played very quietly, which uh, is partly how he got away with being able to sweep like that, because at louder volumes, that can be a lot more difficult, especially on a box. But he would do these runs like um, like for like a 2-5-1, like say 2-5-1 in C major, he'd do these things like... sort of like delaying the sweep a little bit and trying to pull it behind the beat. Let's see if one, two, three, four. 
that kind of stuff. It's it's it can be tricky to pull off those sweeps. He did a lot of like hammer on licks, like he would do this one a lot. Where he's like going between his first finger and his pinky, but alternating between using his second and his third finger on the left hand. And you can just see how adventurous he would play with these little themes, kind of like what John was talking about. He'd take a little theme and he'd really expand on it, which was uh, always inspiring. He was really influenced by the Nicholas Slominski thesaurus of uh, Scales and Melodic Patterns book. He was all about that. Um, and then another thing I wanted to mention was uh, he, he really showed me the benefit of playing melodies on the low strings. A lot of times we forget to do that. But he was all about playing a ballad down here. And you know, I can break. And in the last episode, we were talking about melody interpretation and you know the need for vibrato in certain places or not. And, and Joe would play these low melodies with this big wide vibrato, and it was like this almost like operatic way of uh, singing on the guitar. So it was, it was a really beautiful thing. And perhaps one thing to kind of uh, put a pin on this, uh, or, uh, maybe table the conversation with Diorio is just his creative approach. You know, he was all about kind of separating the left brain and the right brain. And the left brain is a lot more analytical and the right brain is much more creative and arts-based. And, you know, everything for Joe... He wanted to flow from the right brain when he was yes. when he was performing. Um, he really, really stressed that a lot. That you know you were a conduit, and that everything was there. You just had to tap into it. So yeah, really inspiring teacher um, for so many people, and and John and I were fortunate to study with him. There are mm-hmm. three other people I want to touch on real quickly, and then I want to hear from you guys about inspiring teachers. Um, the second person I wanted to mention is the saxophonist George Garzon. You guys know of George Garzon, right? I studied oh, yeah. with him right when I moved to New York. And he has something called the triadic chromatic approach. Have you guys heard of this? It's pretty funky. I'm going to give a quick example of it. It's basically like playing a triad and then moving a cro- chromatic step in any direction to play another triad. So the simplest way you can think of this is like C major and F sharp and combining them like this. Right. Mm-hmm. However, Garzon's thing is that when you move to another triad, a half step away, it may not be the root. It could be like right. the third or the fifth. You could be going down from the fifth. Um, and you may not play them in sequence. So you can really expand upon this approach. And, and Garzon was a really inspiring teacher for me when it came to this style of improvising. I can't really play that style of improvising, but similar to some of Diorio's stuff, I think it's good to have like techniques that kind of push you beyond your limits and your comfort zone to try to expand your playing. And and Diorio and Garzon were a huge part of that. Another person who was a huge part of that uh, is Tony Moreno, a drummer. And I wanted to demonstrate something really quick. I'm going to share my screen. So for those of us you on Patreon, you're getting the benefit of seeing our fingers, and now you get the benefit of seeing my screen share. But I'm going to play uh, a metronome here. 
And Tony Moreno really showed me something called the rhythmic scale that I was like not hip to at first. And it's basically like creating a beat in four and then being able to play three over that or be able to play five over that and just move anywhere while keeping mm -hmm. four steady. So I'll see if I can get an example here. Um, but you guys can hear my metronome. Yep. Right? So you say you're playing four on this. One, two, three, four. Okay. So what if you played measures of three where the four was still the same? Back to four. <laughs> now let's see yeah. if I can go to five. So yeah, anyway, man. you get the idea, but that's that was sort of the Tony Moreno approach. He's a drummer out in New York, a, a real guru of that. And man, you nice. hear a lot of people like Ari Honig talking about the rhythmic scale and how that influences their playing. Another great guitar player, Michael Miles Okazaki, talks a lot about that and how that influences his improvising. So that's another area of study that you can really go deep down the rabbit hole on. Um, the last person I was going to mention quickly and then pass this to John is Los Angeles-based guitarist who's been an incredibly inspiring teacher to a lot of people, Larry Koontz. And uh, he's been teaching at CalArts for decades. And one of the first things that Larry showed me was just try to be able to improvise. This goes back to rhythm. Try to be able to improvise to where you're tapping your left foot and your right foot on two and four. So you're really internalizing the rhythm. And... Um, I won't necessarily play an example of this because I want to pass it to John, but he's someone who I wanted to mention uh, in terms of inspiring teachers. So, John, do you want to pick up on, on Kuntz? Yes, and also picking up on rhythm because it's a great yeah. subject. For, for listeners out there who are kind of beginning at their path with jazz, um, oftentimes we first think, okay, I'm a, I'm a guitar player, so I need to find a guitar teacher. And that's great because we do want to find somebody who plays our same instrument. Mm -hmm. But as you mentioned, like Tony Moreno, great drummer, Garzone, great saxophone player, right? Yeah. Studying with other instruments with jazz often involves us to really um, put some effort into certain aspects of this music that are so universal across all instruments. Mm -hmm. um, and I think with jazz in particular, one of the most striking differences with this style of music is its rhythmic DNA, like what really makes up the rhythms of jazz and the rhythms within the styles of jazz music because jazz has so many different types of of, of shapes and sizes, you know, and it's, it's really important. And early on find a drummer in your community. If, if, if somebody's kind of like, we talked a lot about Diorio today being like this ma major guru here in Los Angeles in the early two thousands, uh, when, when he was here, but if you're in like Kansas city, maybe it's like a drummer there. That's kind of the head honcho of the jazz scene. Go hang out with that guy and go learn about different drum patterns or different ways of practicing with uh, the metronome. You know, Kuntz yeah. is somebody who um, is such a great guitarist, but he's he's really an example of a great jazz musician too. He's done such an in-depth study into like the West African. Um, drum styles that come out of Ghana and learning a lot of those African bell patterns and learning how to tap your feet with polyrhythmic patterns that you actually are designed, to, supposed to be dancing to. Um, and I learned a lot from Larry at CalArts about that, for sure. 
Yeah, and even just, you know, I, I encourage listeners to try this, this sort of, we can call this the Larry Coons challenge. And it's like, just play a little bit where you tap your feet on two and four and see how honest you really are. You know, I'll see if I can scoot back real quick for the Patreon to do a quick example. Maybe you can see my feet, maybe not, but here we go. One, two, three, four. Believe it or not, like when I first started doing that, that was super difficult for me to kind of yeah. have the feel be that consistent. And Kuntz will do that in seven. You know, he'll tap his foot on the big seven when he's playing odd meters. So, yeah, yep. he's he's a guy to definitely check out. Um, yeah, and Larry's also somebody who's a very organized teacher, um, which is really cool. You know, oftentimes when we study with people in jazz, it's really spontaneous just because our personalities are so spontaneous when you become a jazz musician. I've found it's been hard to study with a lot of jazz players who are super organized. A lot of times you just get together and play tunes, play tunes. But Larry's somebody who really can measure you out as a student and be like, okay, here's what we're going to do the next 12 weeks to get you to a certain place. Um, and he's up at CalArts. You know, also shout out to these schools like CalArts, USC, back in the day, GIT, that really gave a home for these teachers to be able to teach, you know. And I know yeah. that was a major draw for me looking at USC out of high school was the fact that Diorio was there. And at the time, you know, Pat Kelly, Frank Potenza, a lot of these great musicians yeah. um, have a home to go to, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, just for me to chime in also on some other teachers, um, you know, this is kind of an interesting subject, but I also learned early on, not from actual teachers, but from recordings and from record stores and people who worked at record stores. There was a place called The Cat's Meow that was in Eugene, Oregon, and the guy that ran that place it was an all-jazz and blues CD store. And I walked in and said I was studying jazz guitar, and he took about an hour to walk me through the whole store and said, okay, this is what you buy first. And then he was inspired by this guy, and then this guy was inspired by him. And, you know, I took a summer of mowing lawns, earned about 350 bucks, and went and spent all that money on CDs there. And also Downbeat Magazine and Jazz Times because it gave you kind of a what's going on in jazz today and who are these players. So a guy like David Doug Dave Douglas would be on the cover of Jazz Times or, you know, Dave Holland. And I would be like, okay, who are these players and how do they connect to these Blue Note albums that I just bought? And this is 1999 and 2000, so the internet wasn't really going yet. And I'm glad I had that experience. It's almost like being an archaeologist. And so for students out there who are using, obviously, today, social media, YouTube, there's so many great ways to learn this music. I also suggest, you know, go find, if you can find used record stores or something, and go through and see what they've got or talk to people there and check out some of these great magazines like Downbeat, Jazz Times, Jazz Is, you know, these publications have really great info in there about where to study jazz and who are some of the current players on the scene, too. Yeah, it's a good point. Inspiring teachers can just be a recording, you know, it could be Grant Green, yeah. it could be a Blue Note recording, it could be West Montgomery. Mm -hmm. um, Will, Will, please let us know who are some of the inspiring teachers that you've had over the years, and you can save John and I for last, you know. It's, Save us for the, for the last. Um, well, Perry, I did want to chime in on something you were talking about earlier, um, especially with the triadic movement. You know, a huge teacher for me was Ron Eshday. Yeah. Um, very dear soul, dear friend. 
And, you know, he was all about the cycle of fourths slash cycle of fifths, which is really good for me, um, basically focusing on, look, learn how to play inside. You don't have to worry about playing outside. First start with inside. But I, before I get into that, I really wanted to kind of catapult off what you were doing yeah. with the triadic um, chromatic. chromatic exercise. Yeah. And some real basic things is just cycling through the cycle of fourths with triads in any given inversion. So if I start on C. Right? Yeah. Um, another thing I started doing was minor triads and then to a major, to a minor, to major, minor. To be honest, my ears still haven't quite wrapped around that, but it, it I'm committing to working on it because it feels like, well, if I'm practicing this with major triads, I should do it with minor triads. And why not, um, you know, why not augmented triad? Why not, you know, half diminished, you know? Sure, Why not sure. dominant seven? You can, you can go so far with some of these, you know what I mean? Like, you can go but beyond the But that was a great, um, a great talking point with that. And the thing with Ron is, you know, him, he was so instrumental in teaching me the Great American Songbook and how, you know, basically any part of music can funnel through that. And you really learn not. And even if you take a tune like um, Our Love is Here to Stay, and if I were to play it in C, you know, he just unlocked a lot of things for me. Like, you know, over the entire tune, um, if I just play tritones descending, the chords are there. I wouldn't really, and then, you know, the cycle of fourths, you can just play tritones descending. Uh, That's also sorry. a really good exercise to learn about how those thirds and sevenths um, really define the harmony that you're outlined, right? Because Absolutely, when man. you move those notes down a half step, you're changing the chord down a fourth or whatever. And it's that's like a. I remember that was a moment for me that was sort of like, oh, these notes are so definitive, you know? Um, yeah, so that's good. Absolutely. Anything else on Ron? I know you had a close, still have a close relationship with him. And um, any other inspiring teachers or anybody that you want to mention? Well, I would like to give, I'm sure you guys would agree, you know, in the recent age, um, going on deep dives on YouTube and just like finding every interview of a certain player you might like. Um, you know, it's no secret that in my younger years, I listened to a lot of Matheny and I, I hunted down every single interview that guy's ever done. And I mean, you learn a lot just about not even musically, but just about um, mindset. And I've yeah. learned a, a, a lot from Pat, not even just his albums. Let's take his albums off the table. Just hearing an artist speak about the way they live their life. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's huge. Yeah. Huge. Matheny, yeah. I mean, another student of Joe DiOrio's early on yes. in Miami. Bringing it full circle here. I mean, for the listener, I mean, Will was slash still is like the the obsession with Matheny was super strong in you, Will. <laughs> so the, I mean, we were touring a lot more back then, and I had to say to you regularly, like, like, dude, you got to yeah. stop listening to him. Not because he's not yeah. incredible. He might be the goat. You know what I mean? <laughs> 
You very well might yeah. be the goat. No, I had, to, like, put, I had to, a, to put Pat down. You had to put Pat down because at a certain point, it's like <laughs> it's too influential. Yeah, you know. I know. You, I had to do it with George Benson and Grant Green too, man. Yeah. I had to spend a few time, months not listening to him. You know, because it's like the second yeah. you listen to it, then all of a sudden, all you all you want to do is. In. Yeah, you know all yeah. your Matheniisms. Yeah, you know. There it is. There it is. There yeah. It is. You know? So it's like it just becomes too much, you know. And and yeah, uh, yeah. Same thing with Diorio. I had to kind of like, you know, uh, compartmentalize some of that stuff and just be like, that's how yeah. he plays. And and honestly, this is a nice kind of point to wrap up on here, though. That like, I'm curious what you guys think of this, but you know, inspiring teachers. Part of the way they inspire me is because they're a genuine article. Like, they didn't just build their artistry completely copying somebody else. Like, it's it's a fabric woven from all their influences that have created their own style. So I feel like part of the way that you, you can honor the tradition of somebody is by coming up with your own style, you know, and yeah. not copying them because that's the example that they set for you and for everybody else. So... I don't know. Mm -hmm. What do you guys think think on that subject? Well, I also feel like in the beginning, it can be hard to see who's like a great teacher because you're just trying to learn about the music and stuff. But as you get to a certain point in your life, I mean, all of us, we've been playing this music for 20 years now and you really see like who are, you know, who's just got a teaching job and who are teachers and who are like really people that are going to guide you. I often find a good character in a teacher is somebody who puts the, the music before themselves, who's very selfless, um, who understands that there's kind of a higher power with this music that we're always trying to search for. They're not trying to sell you a book. They're not trying to sell you a um, kind of some gimmicky thing. And, you know, we're filled with that these days with social media and YouTube. Yeah. And it's, you know, there are, there are great teachers out there. We've mentioned a lot of them today. And I encourage our listeners to go back, listen to season one. Listen to how some of our artists that we had on their talk, because we picked them not just because a lot of them are amazing players, but many of them are fantastic teachers, too. So it's yeah. really good to learn what makes a good teacher and trust your gut, too, with that. When you're finding teachers, like really find somebody who's going to help you become the best player you can be and and be selfless with in yeah. those lessons, like Joe DiOrio was you know, and Ron and all these guys we've talked about. They're all like that. Absolutely. And uh, Will, anything you want to add uh, before we close out the, the episode yeah. on inspiring before teachers? Before we close out, I wanted to get your guys' opinion on, do you think a, a great teacher imposes their, their ideas on a student or basically reacts to what the student is doing? Or is it a combination of both? Hmm. Hmm. Um, yeah. Perry, what do you think? Um, yeah, I think it's got to be the combination. because So kind um, of 50-50? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a tough question to answer because, like, you know, a student doesn't know what they don't know. So at a certain Mm -hmm. point, you have to be, I wouldn't say imposing, but you have to be guiding them. You have to be kind of, like, showing them your vibe, right? And I think the people that we've all mentioned have a really unique vibe that they're kind of sharing with all of us. That's part of what inspires us as their students. Um but you also need to understand where your student is at, right? And then, like, kind of give them what they need in the moment and react to them in the moment where they're at. So that's it's sort of a combination, in my opinion. 
John, yeah, before I, I – oh, I, go on. Oh, I was just going to say, I think a good teacher is like a great parent, you know, somebody who sees in your child, you know, who the, who this person's becoming and what do they like and what are their natural abilities. And a good teacher is going to surprise you and be like, wow, I didn't realize that I have a knack to really do this. And, and a good teacher is going to bring that out and give you the confidence to become a better player and also challenge you and, and make you feel like you've got work to do and the student is naturally a lot of times when they're excited to study with somebody going to want to copy them. Like I loved copying Kuntz when I was in lessons with Kuntz or G or Diorio. Yeah. But a lot of times the teacher will remind the student in a lesson that that the lesson is not about you copying them. Um, most infamously, a good friend of mine who remained nameless studied with, you know, another guitarist who we've had on our podcast. He went in and he played, and this the guitarist said. Um, he's like, man, you sound great, but like, if you're going to copy me, just, just leave. Like, that's not what this is about, you know? And, and so it's having that dynamic. It's, it's interesting. I think a te that's part of a teacher being selfless, but also bringing out the best in the student that they recognize right away. Yeah. Just one quick point. Um, cause Ron never imposed on me. Um, and I actually think it took me a couple years after graduating to really unpack the stuff that he was getting into. And it was all there kind of in the back of my mind. But but I just wonder, like, man, maybe if he just, like, really, like, imposed it on me a little more, maybe it would have I – don't, I don't regret any way of how it went, but it's just an interesting way of teaching on, like, saying do this versus you reacting and and mm -hmm. kind of doing a workaround getting to that. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of – yeah, a lot of uh, advantages and disadvantages to anyone's uh, particular vibe or style as a teacher – um, but man, I'm really glad that we, we took the time to do this episode because I think it's an interesting point. You know, every guitar player has probably had a teacher that influenced them on some level that was inspiring to them, whether it was a person or whether it was a recording or anything. So I'm glad to hear from you guys, the people that, uh, you know, meant a lot to you in that way. We talked about Joe DiOrio, we talked about George Garzon, Tony Moreno, Larry Coons, Ron Eshday. I want to throw Dan Balmer on that list. I know mm -hmm. Pacific Northwest guitarist uh, who you guys studied with, who I think is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Bruce Foreman as well. Uh, Pat Kelly, Frank Potenza as well. Those guys are phenomenal. Um, yeah, John Pisano, want to put on that list too. Just so many people, and we're leaving out a bunch. But uh, we got to run, man. We got places to go and people to see. And uh, next week... I want to remind everybody that we're going to be talking about practice routines, and that episode is going to be led by John. So kind of excited to get into the nitty-gritty on that. And uh, if you're not following us on Instagram or YouTube, you're, you're missing out on some good content. So check out the High Action Podcast and New West Guitar Group on Instagram and YouTube. We also have a Patreon where you can directly support this community and watch the video episode of each podcast, which I think you can really benefit from if you're, especially if you're a guitar player trying to up your level and, and try new things out. So, with that, um, we'll head out. Guys, it's good to see you and uh, see you all next week, okay? Yeah. See ya, everybody.